Welcome to Created for Connection. I'm your host, Kevin Shelby. And today, Paul McMullen and I are focusing on the topic of doubt. So I'm excited to share some of my story, uh, both growing up in the church and facing doubt when I was younger, and also as a leader in the church and what it was like to wrestle with doubt, both about God and just about myself in that role. Something that I know that other leaders have faced as well. And that's why we wanna share this story with you today, because we want you to know that if you're a leader in a Christian community and you're wrestling with doubt and you're struggling with your faith, you are not alone. Welcome back to Created for Connection. I'm Kevin Shelby, and I'm here with Paul McMullen, my co-host. Welcome back, everyone. And today we're going to talk about Paul's story. He's going to share some things with you to give you insight on his wrestling with doubt through the course of his life. And so I'm excited to talk about that. Uh, but Paul, before we get into that, I wanted to share a few things that have happened lately. Um, do you remember Zach Dasher from college? Oh, yeah. I definitely remember Zach. You actually knew him before college, didn't you? Well, we kind of had that um, West Monroe connection. I grew up, uh, actually, my elementary years were in Monroe, Louisiana, at Washtenaw Christian School. And uh, we also had a had the Camp Chioka experience, which I could talk all sorts. In fact, I may bring that up today, a little little Camp Chioka story. Oh, yeah. So, um, so interestingly enough, I was scrolling through Facebook um, in one of my distracted moments, and um, I came across a post that Zach had put on Facebook about his wife, Jill, having just written a book on intimacy. And so I was really interested, and I, I just reached out to him about it, and we had a really, um, really interesting conversation about how the topic of intimacy seems to be something that's coming up in a lot of different circles. Yeah. So he, he mentioned to me that he had been in contact with a number of people who had been arriving at some of the same conclusions that you and I have in that vulnerability and connection and intimacy, the idea of knowing and being known are really kind of um, things that the Holy Spirit seems to be pulling people towards, ideas about what it looks like for us to engage in really deep relationships and, and that the source of healing seems to be relational in nature. Mm. And so Zach even mentioned that he's about to start another podcast about it, um, which hopefully we'll be able to promote here pretty soon. But, um, but I'm just excited about that idea that other people are coming to some of the same conclusions. And I, I wanted to share yeah. that here. I feel like there are moments um, where it's clear that that God is highlighting some things in the church, and maybe it's regional, like it's things that the American church has been missing or doing poorly in or, or whatnot. And um, and then you, you feel like all of a sudden, a lot of people are starting to talk about that. And I've, I've sensed both in terms of like pastor care, uh, minister care, um, caring for the state of our soul and, and not just for like, how do you get things done? Um, there's some themes that are really bubbling up 
probably because of all the problems that we're seeing that are just really highlighted. And um, I, I love that uh, Zach's wife uh, has, has, is writing that book or has written it. Has she finished it? Yeah, it's published. And, and what's her name again? Jill Dasher. Jill Dasher. So we, uh, we encourage people to check it out. We're going to check it out. And maybe we could even have Jill on to talk about that at some point, uh, or maybe both of them. Um, I do feel like Kevin, I'd love to, uh, we, we want to hear more female voices, uh, on some of these issues, uh, about disconnection and isolation and what that's like. And so, um, would love to, to get some, have some, uh, ladies to interview at some point on this podcast. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, we need voices that can share different and unique experiences within the church. And so, um, mm-hmm. so I'd love to interview her too. So today we're, we're going to talk about your story and I'm just interested. You, you got to, you got to grill me on how I was feeling about sharing my story. And I'm interested here. You are on the cusp of, of sharing yours. And I, maybe you could talk a little bit about how are you feeling about that? Yeah, I'm really just trying to disassociate for myself so I don't have to feel any of the those feelings of fear and shame and uh, anxiety. <laughs> trying not to be present, you know, uh, which is uh, after our fourth episode about distractions uh, really on my mind. So now I'm I, I'm excited. And, 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 you know, at the beginning of your conversation, we talked a little bit about what does it look like to share our own stories? And I think that's different for everybody and kind of where they're at in their context. Um, obviously, I'm not going to be sharing my whole story. I'm going to be sharing a, a, a part of my story that I hope that I think fits to our theme and that people can relate to. Um, but it's also, I and you and I know, I mean, this is just a, it's a part of my story. It's one of the things that I could share and so um, it's something that I, I think is important. I'm glad we're going to talk about it today. Well, and if it makes you feel any better, um, I've gotten some, some really good feedback personally from sharing my story. That, and, and I mean, essentially all the things that I was afraid of um, were laid to rest oh, by, good. by the way that people have responded. I've, I've had students reach out to me directly and say, I can't thank you enough. And, you know, I feel closer to you. It makes me want to learn more from you. Mm -hmm. I've had clients who've listened to it and have said, um, we need this. We need, we need counselors. We need, um, preachers. We need ministers, people that are standing in places of leadership to validate the fact that they're not superheroes that they struggle to. Yeah. And, um, and even that, uh, one person told me there, there's almost a demand for authenticity in leaders mm. because of the way that leaders have hurt others by not being authentic and not being open with their, with, with their, their struggles and being vulnerable with it. Yeah. Right on. And you were, you were really courageous. I feel like in sharing that story and I'm glad you've gotten that validation back because, uh, in one sense, you were ready for it, but in another sense, um, it, uh, putting out your story to the to the world is not exactly sharing it in a safe place because you're you have no control over who's hearing it. And um, 
And I'm glad that you've gotten that positive feedback because surely there's going to be, I mean, of all the people that might listen to it, there could be somebody that would give you negative feedback. And I just want to validate how powerful it was for you to share your story and how important that that was for me. It encourages me as well to, to have that courage. Well, I really appreciate that. And, you know, I both want to help to alleviate some of the fear that you're experiencing. And then also for those out there who are on the cusp of needing to share something that's, that's uh, difficult to talk about being known is worth it. Mm -hmm. And, and, and seeing people respond with this is refreshing and I needed this and, you know, it gives me courage to do that. That that's what we're looking for, you know? And, and I think that's why we wanted to lead out in being vulnerable with our stories. And so, um, so if you're out there and you're struggling and you're, you're trying to figure out what to do with it, you know, again, I want to say just even from my own experience over the last couple of weeks, since I shared my story, it's been good feedback, but it wasn't without a couple panic attacks along the way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For real. Um, and, uh, just one more thought, just because it's, it seems like, uh, it's timely. I I did hear somebody speaking this Sunday at a church about who's kind of a, um, mentoring others and how to reach out to millennials and just said that authenticity is the most important factor that that the millennial generation really does not care um, what you have to say unless they feel like you're real. And um, that, that was a good reminder to me. And it, we've been talking about how do you communicate to, to your children? If you've got, whether they're teenagers or, or uh, preteens, and it's like, if they can't see that you're real, if you can't be real with, with them, you're not going to get a great hearing. And I think just encouraging parents to be, let people, let their kids know, Hey, I'm not perfect. I'm sorry. I, I did this. And you, you know, dad, you already know I'm not perfect, but now I, I want you to know that I know I'm not perfect either. Um, and that actually generates respect rather than uh, what people might feel like it would, it would create disrespect. Yeah, that's, that's so good. Um, my 12 year old daughter has subscribed to the podcast and um, she said that she's every episode is downloaded on her iPod. And, uh, and I said, okay, that that's great. But if you decide to listen to episode three, the dark side of anxiety, please, please talk to me first. (laughs) I want to have a conversation with you before you decide to listen to it. That's right. There's some things I need to, to prepare you for. So um, even that, you know, uh, I've never, I've never tried to hold things back from my kids and I think that served them well um, as they've faced struggles of their own. So anyways, um, I I would like to go ahead and shift uh, to your story and um, maybe if you could just kind of start from the beginning Um, we know that the topic the theme of, of your story has to do a lot with doubt. So can you, can you kind of go from the beginning, the origins of Mm. some of this stuff for you? December 18th, 1978, Paul was born in Jackson, Mississippi. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, His parents doubted whether that was (laughs) just kidding. Wait, you Um, were born in Mississippi? Yeah, man. Jackson or uh, around Jackson. I did not know that. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. All right. Okay. That's so why I'm so brilliant, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
so doubt for me, uh, skipping ahead from birth, uh, doubt for me really started in what in the in our heritage um, of churches of Christ, at least, um, was about what was called the age of accountability. So if you're unfamiliar with the age of accountability, it's a sub doctrine that is taught in, in some places about when you're liable for your sin. In other words, this is the point where you would go to hell if you died. And I mean, in, in crass sorts of terms. Um, so, you know, you're, you're good up until about 12, 13, you know, like you got forgiven if you did, you know, you said, you said a bad word or whatever up until that point. Uh, or showed disrespect for your parents or what, whatnot, or started smoking pot, you know, at age 11 or <laughs> whatever else. But uh, at 13, then, you know, if, if your, your dad took a sharp turn over the bridge and you all plummeted to your, to your death, then you were in, you were in trouble, you know, uh, and, and you needed to be saved before that time. And so I remember that that age around 13 kind of coincided with a move that happened in my family where I went from a very stable situation in Monroe, Louisiana at a Christian school where I made exceptional grades, was the starting seventh grade point guard on the team. And uh, then we moved to a much larger school in East Texas uh, in, in Longview and uh, moved to a new church. You know, I go this, place of safety and certainty and knowing who I am to where I'm just kind of thrust into this very difficult and scary place where I, I don't know um, where I fit anymore. And alongside that, I start to feel some pressure just knowing, hey, I'm, I'm 13 now. I, I think people expect me to have this come to faith moment, which again, in our heritage uh, was equivalent with getting baptized. So you know, we would have sermons on Sunday where there would be a, kind of an evangelistic tone to them, and there'd be an invitation to come forward and, and be baptized at the end of it. And at, at, there were occasions where, uh, there's one occasion, um, I love my dad, if you, if you listen to this one, dad, no, no worries, but I remember dad one time saying something to the extent of, thought you're going to go forward and respond this morning. And uh, I'm like, no, I'm <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Uh, and ab about this time, and I have no doubt that it coincided with uh, the, all the, the turmoil of this move, um, I started to doubt uh, some of the things I'd been raised with in church and started to really wrestle with it for the first time. So were you feeling that sense of awareness of guilt and shame and recognition of of your own ability or capacity to to sin and you know make mistakes and this doubt started to creep in alongside of that or were you still kind of in this state of like I don't really know why I need to give my life over to Christ I'm still wrestling with that and people are telling me to what can you kind of clarify that for us sure yeah now, after having been in seminary, I know I was having a theodicy issue. So it had to do with the justice of God. Um, but it, 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 I was having a problem with the idea that I was going to be sent to an eternity of hell at that point 
having not been baptized because of the life I'd lived up, up until age 13. And I was like, if I have to go to hell for eternity for whatever I've done for these first 13 years, I mean, I was a good kid. Like I had not been the one saying the bad words or smoking the pot or whatever else uh, those other kids did. Uh, and so I, I was really defensive about that and I didn't understand how that would be fair. Um, and I thought God was kind of messed up for that potential judgment on me. And then I started to wonder what if I would have been born and I always in my mind, I was like, if I'd have been born in the, in the, the heart of Africa and, you know, I, I didn't even know my geography well enough to then, you know, like in, in the Congo and I had never heard of Jesus and, um, and, and my parents hadn't heard of Jesus. Would we just automatically go to hell because we had never heard? And I was like, that's not fair either. I don't understand how God is sending all these people to hell. And it just, it really bothered me. And um, when I did ask some questions to my parents and, and, and some, maybe in the church, I can't remember if I talked to the youth minister or whatnot. Um, I didn't feel like I had really good answers. You know, I, I didn't feel like I, I got good answers. So I just kind of sat in that doubt of why, why am I going to be punished for this? And if that's, if this is the case, why is it so important that I, and baptized so that Jesus saves me from all these sins so that I don't go to hell. So it was more like, what have I done to deserve hell rather than um, this recognition of, man, I, I'm a, a sinner in need of grace. <laughs> yeah. So you, so there's this um, disbelief maybe that that's accurate, that what people were telling you was true, or was it like, I don't accept this, this uh being that you call god as someone who's going to treat me that way what what yeah i found it confusing and i i wondered if that was what god was really like and i couldn't get a straight answer but i really thought if that's what god's really like i don't know why i would want to follow this god or or give my life to him and there was certainly a, a degree of man, if I become a Christian, if I'm baptized, I can't do those things that also I could tell the the kids that were popular, that were kind of cool, you know, the Kevin Shelby's of the world. I can't do the things that they're doing. <laughs> I can't do the, <laughs> the things that they're doing, um, which at the time I was also starting to experience some deep loneliness. And so the I, there was something that held me back that was like, if I commit to this, then I've got to give up what potentially could help me be, be a happier person, which mm. is delving into some things that could get me a little bit more, generate more friendships, generates more popularity for mm. a young teenager. So then you're at this place in life and, and what, what direction did you go? So in, in the midst of not getting great answers or for what I, what I felt were not great answers. Um, in my limited memory, you know, I can only remember so many of those conversations, but I just kind of turned inward, which is, uh, a way of dealing with problems that I, I learned probably then. And, uh, if I learned it earlier, I don't remember it, but, um, I just kind of stuffed that. And I said to myself, until I get these questions answered, I will not be baptized. 
which again, it's, it was very transactional. My relationship with God was almost entirely based on the transaction of salvation and not going to hell. And, um, and so I was not going to do that transaction, that deal with God until I felt like I had better answers. So I just, I just waited and I went to youth group events and heard people speak and, you know, got in, and anytime it, there was an emotional pull toward me responding, my wall built up a little bit stronger, you know, a little heavier material built up internally to, um, that sense of invitation to, to Jesus. And I didn't doubt that God was real. I've never doubted that for whatever reason. Um, it, it, it may be just my sense of kind of wonder over creation or whatever else. I doubted the character of God. Um, I wasn't, maybe I was slightly agnostic, but I really doubted Jesus. And why do I need Jesus? What is so important about Jesus in this transaction when that whole, the whole setup didn't make sense to me. So as these walls built up and you said you learned to turn inward, what did that look like? What, what was happening internally uh, behind the wall? I wasn't pursuing conversation anymore with anybody at church or with my parents I just was sitting in that doubt and in that sense of disappointing um, my, my elders and my, my parents by not making that decision. I did, my younger brother, Eric, did, uh, he was baptized uh, first in our, in, among my brothers. And, um, you know, and I, I think I was a little bitter towards him and especially if Eric ever misbehaved, if he ever went off and did something that I knew was wrong, I'm like, but you were baptized. You can't do that. You know, and I'm, and I'm trying to hold him accountable for his decision that I haven't been willing to make. And, um, and I bet that happened a lot with Eric. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'll bring Eric on at some point. We'll share some stories. No, um, I love, uh, C.S. Lewis's story, uh, the horse and his boy. Um, everybody's story is their own. Everybody's had their own journey with uh with jesus and um such as is eric's as well so you stop having conversations you are just kind of listening from afar you're waiting for these questions to be answered and what how long does that take for you what does that look like in terms of the time span that you're you're kind of sitting back behind the wall so um, from 13 to 19, um, my whole junior high, high school years, uh, I am one of the few kids in the youth group at church that has not responded. Um, we had kind of, I mean, God bless our youth minister. Uh, and there were several of us that all like pushed up back from, from faith and, and weren't baptized. And so I was one of, you know, four or five, and it seemed to be the guys that were more hesitant towards that. And, um, you know, at, at the same time, I really wrestled with it because not just fear of, of hell, but, but this longing for there to be more in life and for longing for me to feel like life was meaningful and a longing to know that I mattered was really strong in me. And I didn't know where to find that. 
And I, and I knew enough to know that if God was real and if, if some of this story was true, then that meant there was value that I had value that I had meaning. And so I remember laying in my bed again, alone. So all in the rest of my waking life, I internalize all this doubt in my, in my moments alone, I lay in bed and I would reach up toward the ceiling in my room and I would just cry and just like, if you're real, why don't you show me you're real? If you're there, why don't you show me you're there? And always silence, nothing. And it just broke my heart. And I just, I, I cried, uh, even though I was learning how to not feel feelings, I was, I would still cry in those moments. And so you're, you're wrestling, you're, you're reaching up saying, God, where are you? And, and you get no response. And does that just sort of solidify for you this position of like, you know, I can't, I, I got to stay behind the wall. I, I got to stay there. Yeah, it, it did. And it was, it was like this, it's a trust issue. And as we talk about doubt, I mean, it is a trust issue. Um, I, I didn't, I, I didn't feel like I could trust him that he really was good towards me. Because if he was good towards me, why would he let me sit in that place of unbelief and struggle and pain and loneliness? I was desperately lonely in that time. And um, so reaching up and just waiting on God, you can always paint a super bleak picture. Um, I know my mom, my, my parents were, were praying for me um, uh, constantly. This was not like a solo where, where, where no one is, is reaching out to me and caring and having and, and, and trying to talk to me about it. There was that. Um, but when I look back at that, I remember those moments laying in bed, just wrestling with God and feeling like he just didn't care. He didn't care enough. I didn't understand why would it be so hard? All powerful being send an angel down just to say, be like thumbs up. God's real. Go for it. Nothing out. You know, it didn't happen. So you've got all this stuff going on. And then at some point there is a breakthrough, I'm guessing something, something switched. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, a, a couple of things that happened. Uh, one was that I remember a particular conversation uh, with my dad after I had been caught in some misbehavior and had tried to lie my way, my way out of it. Um, and he just was like, I, he's like, I can't, I can't trust you anymore. And to interestingly enough, my issue with God, I can't trust you voice back at me. I can't trust you, Paul. Um, it shook me up. I was like, I, I realized I don't want to be the kind of person that can't be trusted. And it, it made me think I want to, I don't like who I'm becoming. And even at, I guess that was, I was 19, but I didn't like who I was becoming. And so I decided as a senior graduating senior in high school to go back to that, that summer camp that I, I'd gone to. I was a kid camp Chioka uh, in uh, or close to Calhoun, Louisiana and um, went there. And there was a, the, the Bible, teacher for the time was a guy named Charlie Murray, um, who passed away a few years after that. And Charlie, uh, I, I remember he met with our senior guys cabin early on and had us uh, pair up and go pray about the week. And I got with this guy 
I'm like, well, it's kind of weird for me to pray uh, because I'm not a Christian. And he's like, what are you, you know, he didn't say this, but I kind of got this like, what are you doing here, Vibe? Um, and I was like, I guess I'd like to pray that maybe God would help me with that, like help me believe. And it just, it was a new thought. I'd never thought to ask God to help me believe in God. But I prayed that prayer at the beginning of, of that week of camp. Um, and so that experience went on. I set up several meetings with Charlie. I, basically in my heart, I was like, God, I'm going to give you one last chance. You know, 18 year old, like get one shot, God. <laughs> and at this camp, you know, uh, so I, I set up several meetings with Charlie and we talked about the story of Jesus and we talked about some of my issues and it, I was in my heart. I was like, man, nothing new. I'm getting the same old thing. You, you ain't got nothing new, Charlie. I really liked him a lot and I liked his heart. I could tell he loved me and he cared for me, but, um, I was just still, those walls were just so thick. So the, one of the last nights of camp, every, so, you know, there's skit night at camp. Every, every cabin had their own skit to do. So we had to be spiritual because we were like the oldest guys at the camp for the high school session. And uh, uh, we did a reenactment of the sounds of the cross. So some people may have been in a place where they uh, have, have seen one of these reenactments where you, you basically just do, you turn up all the lights and you're just reenacting the crucifixion story with the sounds and the, the voices. And so uh, lo and behold, I turn out, uh, I, I volunteer for one of the criminals and I'm uh, the criminal on the cross that's like calling out for faith, telling the other guy um, to stop uh, insulting Jesus and mocking Jesus and then asking for Jesus to remember me when he comes into his kingdom. So we're doing this skit in the gym at Camp Chiokum the lights are out and me and the other guy, that's the criminal, we decide we're going to hang from the net on the basketball goal. So we can sound like we're like hanging from crosses. And so we're hanging from this net so that we're kind of out of breath and, you know, I'm yelling out my lines and I can tell like, this is a really significant moment. And it, the irony was not lost on me that I was the, the criminal on the cross calling it. Sorry. Just, uh, it's okay. Haven't haven't told the story in a little bit. So, um, and, and I've told my wife uh, as I <laughs> as God's healed my heart in the last uh, you know ten years or so from from many things. Uh, my emotions have started to melt. So, I, uh, she laughs. She's like, "Yeah, Paul actually cries now." <laughs> so, um, but I'm I, I was the irony of being the criminal on the cross that asked Jesus to save him was not lost on me at that point but at the end of the song we uh we there was a light that comes on on a cross and uh, that was in the room so the only light is shining the cross and there was you know some song that was being played some acapella song probably from the band acapella again church of christ uh and so all the people that were in the skit go down and kneel at the cross and so it's just it's just silent in that room except for the song being played and on the inside i am just i am just wrestling with god this is like jacob wrestling with god at night i'm like god i just want to believe i just want to believe what you know why can't i believe why can't you show me and it was in that moment that i heard 
an internal voice. And you, you said this in your story too. And uh, uh, the voice I heard was very simple. It just said, trust me. Mm. And I knew enough to know that this voice was not just myself saying that. And this is a moment of faith. And, and for people, I mean, if somebody hears my story and it's like, how do you know that was God? Well, you, you don't, you really have to trust. But somehow I knew that was not me saying, trust me to myself. Yeah, I felt God speaking to me in that moment. Uh, trust me. And it was kind of like, you've built up all these walls saying, I need these answers before I can trust you. But you know, in your heart, that I love you, you know, in your heart that in this story, I'm speaking love to you. And can you just trust me? Can you trust me that um, to, to lean into what is good and beautiful in the story and let the stuff that's mystery hold out and just trust me, walk with me into those places. And so I said, internally, again, I didn't say it out loud. I said, yes, yes, I will. And so we go back and our group goes back out of the gym. And I think there was applause or something. And, and we're all like excited and like it went, re went really well. And I just tell everybody, I'm like, okay, guys, um, I'm ready to believe. Like I want to be, I want to be baptized tonight, which um, to me, the, the moment of baptism now carries so much more significance than it did um in my past where it was all purely transactional, but I just see it as a beautiful thing now. Um, just the act and the full body act of, of doing something that is significant to your spirit as well as to your body. But um, that was the moment. It was a moment. It was a transitional moment because uh, God reached in and did several things. I mean, starting with my dad saying, I don't trust you. And then moving to where God says, trust me. And um, that's, that's still really powerful for me to remember. Yeah. And as, as you said, when I was telling my story that um, people can't see it, but you know, there's, there's obviously emotion there that, um, that validates how powerful it was. And, you know, I love it. I mean, just, it, it moves me as I'm, as I'm listening to it and thinking about it. And I'm, um, I'm just so thankful that God gives us those gifts, not, not just when we're asking for it, but when we need it, when, when he knows it's the right time, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and it sounds like that's what happened there, you know? And so I'm kind of interested then following that, what, what happened for you? Yeah. And um, before I answer that, I, I know that there are people who have struggled with faith and they've been waiting for that encounter with God and they haven't had it and they don't know how to have it. And um, I don't know what to say always to people. I don't think you have to have the sort of encounter that I had with God, but um, I, I know that, that there are people that are waiting for that now and reaching out and, and longing for that. And I don't know why that happened for me at that point, but it, it did. And I, I can't deny it. So um, I'm not a 
Calvinist necessarily. <laughs> um, I, I do feel like we have choice in the matter of coming to God. Um, but I still, I don't, I can't explain why my story has that element and not everybody's does. But after that, as you asked, I was going on to, to college and I actually changed course. I was going to go to one place and then I ended up at, at Harding University where I met you among other people uh, and, and my future wife as well. Um, and so uh, I was in this honeymoon period with, with God where I just was, uh, it felt very freeing and, you know, I'm skipping over some parts, but I, you know, I had become somebody that, um, as my dad said, I wasn't trustworthy. And so to be, to, I started to live in, sometimes people say like when Christ moves into the, the house that is each of us, um, he gets to work pretty quickly on a few areas and then other things take a lot longer. But one of the areas that I've felt like it really healed me up and quickly was just the sense of being able to live this life that I didn't have to, I didn't have to hide anymore in that space. I was trustworthy. I could, I wasn't, um, I was choosing to do different things. And so I didn't have to hide that from my parents at that, at that point, but I just felt a lot of freedom there. And so I ended up at Harding and uh, just felt like a weight had lifted off my shoulders and I was hungry for God in a way I had not been before. And I just started to kind of devour both um, relationships and books and music and things that I had not before that really, I, I, I dove in deep that first year. Yeah. And I, I can remember, you know, some of those first conversations and encounters that you and I had and just having this sense of real depth to you at that point. Um, obviously I met you, you know, in college after Mm -hmm. this transition had happened. Um, but I just remember you being somebody that was, um, was safe to be deep with, you know, and, um, and that's why I I tested the waters by saying, Hey, you want to hang out? Just kidding. You know, that, that whole thing. I remember that, but, um, but still knowing that, um, there was some real depth there that, that you had to share. And it seems like, I guess, just what you're saying was true from an outside perspective as well. And I, mm. I'm interested in the relationships that you built during that time period and what that did for you as some of the initial steps towards being known. I found myself uh, really flocking to people that, had a hunger for God. And because in my mind, I had wrestled and it it really, God shapes us by our sufferings. Um, I had wrestled so long with uh, not having God and feeling lonely and valueless and not knowing what my life was about that once I had that trust me moment and I was like, okay, I want to, I want to trust you. Um, the meaning of life in that sense was never more clear to me <laughs> for like two year period. So that's the honeymoon period. And it was like, Hey, like God is real and we've got a mission we've got the commission of, of God. And I, I, this is, this is what the point of life is. It, um, it, there was nothing else that was, uh, it, that felt like it was a strong competition for how, how much meaning I felt in that, search for God. 
and I enjoyed, I mean, I enjoyed conversations about God. I enjoyed exploring theology and exploring things. And it wasn't, you know, there's a lot of issues that one could get caught up in, in, in church stuff. And there were some of that occasionally that, that happened. Um, but for me, it was always just drawn to the experience of God and the reality of God. And so because of my experience, I was also, I was really drawn to the idea that God is present, that we can find him and, and, you know, touch the hem of his robe in some very real ways in our present existence. Um, and, and really wanting to have, so there I was, I was drawn towards the experiential, drawn towards worship, drawn towards prayer and the, and towards people that were excited and passionate about those things. Now, just as a side note, maybe to backtrack just a little bit, I, I know that because I know your story pretty well, um, it wasn't just like the 13-year-old kid kept going without having anything in the past to, you know, to accuse him of needing Jesus at this point. There's a real turning away in your life that you alluded to. And I'm not, I'm not asking you to share all of the, the details of that, but I, I am, I think it's important for people to know as part of your story that, you know, it, there was, there was a part of your life that, that you experienced this rebellion and then a, a turning towards God was a really important and big shift for you. Oh, it certainly was. And, and so much of what you shared uh, about how you, you know, ways that you coped from, uh, your experiences growing up. Um, you know, that was, that was me trying to find, I, I was looking for ways to cope and really uh, for a couple of years there, like junior high years, really trying to find that out. Uh, felt like on my own, like I was really, I, I'd really kind of turned inward and had a big shell around me. and wasn't letting people in. So I was, um, I was trying to, to cope and, and feel better inwardly. Um, and so that, that certainly played its role in, in sexual sin and, and lust and all those issues. And then also, um, you know, just developed, uh, it, the hardness around the, again, the distractions you mentioned before I was already, uh, you know, I was lost in, in games and, and, uh, in, in fantasy books and fantasizing in my mind, like fantasy played this huge role in my life because I wasn't engaging any, in any real relationships. And so um, those, those were strong addictions before I ever dabbled into other, any, any substances and things like that, um, which uh, eventually, you know, that those became more problematic, but it was more these very isolated sorts of coping behaviors. And so coming to God also opened me up to relationships. So I started to meet some of those needs relationally in those first years of college. And a lot of the, the behavior that was from isolation started to, to dwindle because of that. And, and in my mind also, you know, there's a sense of like, Oh, all that stuff's in the past, you know, all those, all that coping stuff is in the past. So very similar to your story where I thought, Oh, I'm done with all those things. And in reality um, that, those were some of the rooms that, that Jesus uh, had a lot more work to do on that I would eventually discover. Yeah. Well, and, and that helps to really highlight to the, 
this experience that you had being in college and connecting and connecting with God. And there's all this connection that's so important to laying the foundation of what later on you find as, as really healing, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, so you go through your college years, you have this honeymoon period and, and then what follows that? Yeah, there was, there was one moment, uh, junior to senior year where a, a good friend of mine that I really looked up to, I saw as a very spiritual person started to lose faith and really struggled with their faith. And man, it kind of spent me, sent me on a spiral and I really struggled. Like if this person doesn't know what they believe, do I know what I believe? And, and it, it really became very hard. And for me for a while, and it, I had not experienced that return of doubt until that moment. And, um, and then God kind of picked me up and brought me back from that place to where I, I still felt good and confident. And then I went to, to seminary at Harding School of Theology, used to be uh, Harding Graduate School of Religion. Needless to say, I hit another moment of pretty strong doubt in the midst of that. And um, one of my favorite professors, John Fortner, who's our Old Testament professor, uh, gave us all sorts of stuff to read before class one year. And it was from scholars that basically discounted the whole history of Israel and, uh, you know, basically uh, threw all sorts of doubt on the trustworthiness of scripture, particularly the Old Testament. And I'm reading this before class. And I'm like, why is he having us read this? I don't know if any of this is true anymore. What do I do with all this? And then when we get to class, he like picked up all the pieces of a, a, for us of, of uh, the Old Testament scriptures and helped us make some more sense of it, and, which helped. But I was like, it, for, at that point, it was like, is the Bible trustworthy? And I don't know if I can trust the Bible anymore. And if I can't trust the Bible, how do I know if I can trust God? And it was like, I still had that experience of Jesus. I could not deny, but what I knew about him and what I knew about what I thought I knew about the Bible was being shaken to its core and that it put me into a depression really. Yeah. You know, I, I actually work on the campus of that school of theology that, that you went to. Yeah. And, um, and I see a lot of students who they get to seminary and all of a sudden question, there's more questions than there are answers um, about the validity of scripture and, you know, things that they have been taught their whole lives starting to come into question. And, um, and, and that's not what they're trying to accomplish at the school of theology. It's just when you dive deeper into theology, you start to see more of the questions that are there. Yeah. And you're reading more about you're you're reading from other viewpoints you're opening yourself up to like oh not everybody <laughs> not everybody believes this stuff you know like at, at some point you're going to hit like okay there's a whole world out here that has all sorts of viewpoints on these things and that are different than what i believe and what do i do with those voices and what's even interesting about the the community of theologians is a, a big majority of them are not believers um, and so you're, you're hearing a lot of stuff coming out of those theologians of the time that are, that are speaking against Christian ideology and the, mm -hmm. so, um, so that, that does have to be tough, especially when you find yourself in, in a season of doubt. 
So you, you finish the school of theology and then what happens from there? Yeah. So, you know, I do come to a place of peace about some of those questions in the midst of that. Um, and it, and about scripture in particular, in particular, and the canon of scripture. And um, I, it, and it's basically like my faith just took a shot with a sledgehammer. Um, but I put enough of it back together where I'm like, all right, this is still okay. We can work with this, right? Okay. And, um, and it's, it's funny because if, if I was on a roller coaster in faith, I mean, those two mi- moments I just mentioned to you, I mean, I dipped way down into like, you know, depressed feelings because of that doubt and just really, really struggling um, with, with whether it was even okay for me to feel that way. Um, especially when I, th- I was like, God has given me so much now and so many good things have happened. Um, and then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a bad Christian cause I'm doubting again. I'm certainly a bad seminary seminary student. Um, and so, uh, some shame in with that too. Uh, so, but I, I pick up the pieces with the help of, I mean, that's a supportive community. Um, it, it, it's people of faith helping me put those pieces together in my, uh, um, my other stu- the other students there um, helping me think through that. So pro- people to process with all those questions. So I get married to Julie, my wife, and then we we um, uh, long story short get this feel this calling towards North American church planning, and um, we eventually move to the Northwest. And uh, at this point. I'm, I've moved from seminary, like college, Christian college, where, you know, we're having chapel every day to seminary where we're, we're wrestling with uh, all these tough issues, but, you know, there's still this core of faith to now I'm in the Northwest. I'm at this little bitty church. That's just a little blip on the map in this larger cultural milieu of uh, West coast thought and um, unchurched population and I, I get a job at a Starbucks where um, I'm the only believer in Jesus there. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is really hard. Am I, am I right? Like, am I sure that, that I know what I'm talking about versus these other folks? And it, that experience threw me for a loop of being, being isolated in terms of my belief. And what, a, like, I really want to be liked by these people, but I also... Am I, I'm supposed to stand out and man, it just, that kind of messed me up. And it was a different sort of doubt than I'd experienced before. So you're a church planter on the field, working in the community. And now that doubt starts to sink in, but it's even in a different way. And, and echoes of the past of, you know, what is, what is living a life of faith going to do to relationships Yes. You experienced in childhood. Now you're seeing it play out right in front of you as an adult. And, but you also have all these expectations of people are supporting me and I'm, I'm supposed to be out there evangelizing and building a church. And yet I'm wrestling myself with some of these things. So, yeah. So what, what happens while you're on the field as you start to hit some of these moments? Right. And you know, I moved from a place where my faith 
gave me esteem among people. Like I was look up, looked up to as someone that wanted to go into missions and church planning and uh, to a place where now I was the strange guy. I was the weirdo, the guy that worked for the church part-time that um, was like, you know, people felt like they had to apologize if they said something uh, raunchy, you know, on the Starbucks headset uh, and like, oh, Paul's here. We got to watch what we say now. And I'm, you know, it was just so isolating uh, to be that guy. And, um, you know, it made me want all those feelings again, like those feelings of you talked about eight year old Kevin uh, the other day. And I think about 13 year old Paul, who was just lonely and wanting to belong and wanting to have faith and make sense of the world and feel like I'm okay. And I started to feel like 13 year old Paul again. Um, But then I had the pressure of knowing, oh, I'm being supported uh, financially to evangelize these people. And that was a crazy bind to be in. And so the doubt was like, um, the, the doubt was the self-doubt of what am I doing here? And what, you know, it, it wasn't so much as God real anymore, but it's like, am I cut out for this? I don't know that I am. Yeah. So you start to feel somewhat like an imposter maybe. And it's interesting oh, yeah. to note too, that this is on the heels of a move, just like your isolation when you were 13 was on the heels of a move. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're, you've moved into a place where you don't have anybody to lean on except for Aaron and Amy and Julie who are there with you. Um, but you're, but you guys are all doing your own thing in your own spaces too, in your day to day. So that, that makes it really challenging, I'm sure. But yeah. So talk about, you know, as you move into, you get some years on the field under your belt, what, what mm-hmm. are things like for you then? So doubt hit me in different sorts of ways, okay? Um, One of the strongest times of doubt hit me when another good friend that I really looked up to just had some drama in his life and things changed. And I just, and I looked up to him as kind of a spiritual giant in my world. And then everything kind of fell apart. And I was like, what, what do I do with that? And that just, that really, I mean, I, I I realize my faith is so wrapped into other people's faith that if, if other people don't believe the same as me anymore, I don't know. I, my, I feel like I'm very much tied to what other people are feeling. And so um, that shook me a whole lot. Uh, And I really had to wrestle with that person's uh, changes and the change in status. And was like, am I the same as them? And part of that, I mean, I don't want to like, there's different personality profile stuff that we, we don't want to get into. So we don't alienate people. But um, part of my personality is very leans into what other people feel and, and think. And so that's part of my struggle with doubt is whenever I see people doubting strongly, I'm, I start to lean into that a little bit more and just think like, Oh, maybe I'm all wrong. You know, I, I don't feel like I have this solid, like, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm going to post on Facebook and, you know, shove it in their face. I'm more like, oh, everybody doesn't think what I think. Oh, gosh. So that that shook me up. Um, and then, um, uh, but I, I did find that a lot of my faith 
questions, my, my pendulum swing in doubt didn't go as deep as it had in some other times. And what I was finding was I had experienced this enough times to know that God wasn't going to abandon me. This was not the end of my faith. And it was, it was kind of okay for me to fall into doubt a little bit and then to, to move out on the other side, that it actually had a strengthening effect and it didn't destroy me. Like I was always afraid. I had anxiety, like this is going to destroy me if I go here. But I was starting to find out, no, it's not, it, it doesn't destroy me. It actually helps me identify and relate to people that have gone through something similar. And so were you, um, were you also able to share some of those doubts with people that you were close to in, in a different way? Did, did that play any role in your ability to weather that storm of doubt? To a degree, I still did not know how much I needed other people. So our whole uh, podcast about leaning on other people for what we need and the need for intimacy in those, in these spaces, I think I still wrestle with a lot of things on my own. I definitely had conversations with my wife, Julie, about it. And she was uh, often whenever I've been uh, weak and uh, weak, not always being the right word. When I was on shaky ground, she's been on solid ground. And when she's been on shaky ground, I've been on more solid ground. And I think the Lord has used our relationship as a way to encourage each other in those times to be kind of an anchor for each other. But there were others as well, like our teammates, um, Aaron and Amy and other people that we, we put ourselves around that were people of, of faith that um, inspired me and helped me to go on. And, and that was very helpful to not, not just be alone in my thoughts. But there was still a part of it that stayed in the shadows that you weren't, weren't able to talk about. Certainly. And there were times when I would voice my doubts to other leaders. And I got really strong reactions. I remember sitting in a room of church planners in Portland, Oregon, and everybody's talking about different church planning sort of stuff. And, and I just remember voicing some kind of something I was wrestling with that was kind of vulnerable and some doubt I was feeling about, about ministry or something else. And it was like, I said it, and everybody just kind of looked at me and then they just moved on, you know? And it was like, it was just too uncomfortable, either too uncomfortable or they just didn't feel like it was relevant. And I, I was like, I just like poured my heart out a little bit to you guys and you just kicked it and walked on. And I've found that I found that leaders can be very um, it feels shallow. And I know that's a little bit of judgment talking, but when it comes to leaning into doubt or the dark darkness of, of leadership and ministry, if it doesn't fit in that paradigm of we're moving forward and we're taking the hill and we're, everything's good, there's sometimes where if a voice comes up that doesn't sound like that, then you just squash it back down. And I felt like that at times that my voice was was squashed because it wasn't that that uh, hugely optimistic view of what was going to happen. And so I'm thinking about the leaders who have had similar experiences where they we've talked about people risking. You know, in moments where they might try to be a little bit vulnerable. Um, and there are other leaders out there, I'm sure, who've had similar experiences. I'm guessing that that risk didn't encourage you to be more vulnerable. It, it actually had the reverse effect. 
and became another notch in, in, in your belt of places where you couldn't trust others to carry your, your big struggles. Yeah, certainly. So it, it, it was, it was that experience. Um, and you know, if, if you've been in, in leadership and caveat, you know, doubt is something everybody, uh, I mean, people at all levels of participation in church and faith are struggling with. And I'm, I'm hoping that we're, we're talking to everybody here, but for those that were in the leadership realm and you go to like the conferences and the, um, the, the different things that the, whether, whether it was the colleges that were hosting or the, or, uh, the church planner conferences or whatnot. And, and you just see these, the success stories paraded out and the, the, you know, this kind of the extreme faith paraded out and telling their story of all these great things that are happening and, and just, you know, you know, yelling at people to, to believe and march forward. And it's just the same kind of vibe. And when you're doubting or when you're not having that same experience, it's, it's like, it either produces shame because you're not living like that other person seems to be living, or you're not doing what they're seem, seem to be doing, or it makes you want to wall off from them and say like, those people are so annoying to me. I hate them. I want to go where people are real and authentic and have real issues. And I probably started to lean more towards that, that secondary reaction of like, I'm sick of hearing how everything's great and how there's no issues and no doubts. And I want to be around people that are real, man. And, and so that I, I stopped going to a lot of those conferences. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that, that makes me think of is, um, just the recognition that oftentimes it seems like if it's too good to be true, then it probably is. And I think it is not always the case, but in a lot of, in a lot of cases, you know, I think at this point I find myself looking and struggling with the thought, what are they struggling with? Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost a little bit of skepticism. And, and that's not an accusation against people who are fired up for the Lord. I, I don't, I certainly don't want to take that away and say that, you know, there's not um, space for that and it's not necessary and needed in the church, but more so when I think about like the situation where you find yourself in a room of leaders who are kind of have this rah, rah attitude and somebody expresses doubt that discomfort with stepping into the conversation in my mind has more to do with their discomfort with their own struggles than it does with you actually as a person having, having a difficult time. Because I think that that's something that, um, that we're really trying to speak into is that when you, when you really take a good inventory of self and you start to recognize those places in you that are weak or struggle or, you know, um, are that you're, that you're maybe blind to that others have pointed out that you don't really want to take a look at that. It's often the inability to go to those places within that keep us from being able to handle it when other people need to go there. And so that's another reason for us to be able to step into, uh, the, the places of shadow in our life, the places yeah. of hiding. And yet, oftentimes we take it to a place of just when we're the ones who are experiencing it 
and we're not being accepted and we're not being opened up to about other people's difficulties, it, it really has the effect of pushing us into more hiding. If, if we're not, if we're not winning, if we're not pushing forward, if we're not, um, kind of hustling, I heard somebody talking about the history of hustling, uh, what is it? John Mark Comer's the ruthless elimination of hurry <laughs> talks about that. It, you know, if we're not going full charge, you know, against the enemy, um, it, there's this question of, are we okay? And there's, I think there's this identity question that, that comes up and that people are wrestling with. And it, and it does make me wonder how much, you know, this is Jesus's kingdom versus ours. Cause if we, if we can't allow those voices to be heard, I do think there's a, there's a sense in which it does speak to our discomfort, just like you just said. Whereas if it's Jesus's kingdom and we're all in this together, it's okay no matter what's said and and it's it's unshakable because it's Jesus is not it's not unshakable because uh, we're performing in a certain way and we, and we only have faith and never and no doubt and, and those sort of things um, when it, it it misses the fact that so many people are are wrestling with themselves and their identity and with God, and if we can't go to those places, we miss a chance for grace and for the gospel to speak into those spaces. And um, that is, that's needed. Again, it's needed for leaders as much as it's needed for the person that's on the street that doesn't know Jesus. It just, it is because that's what life is like. And if it's not, if it's not like that this year, I think it'll be like that next year. And I don't want to foist my experience onto somebody else and say like, everybody's got to have doubt the way I have. My wife hasn't had that the same way I have, and it's fine. You know, she has different sorts of things that she's, she's gone through and wrestled with, but she's never had the same. She wasn't bothered by some of the questions that really bothered me. And that's okay. I don't need my things to, to bother her for her to be mature in Christ. I mean, to be full in Christ. Um, but if, if I don't have any space, if I'm not allowed to ask the questions, then I think it's, it does speak more to somebody else's discomfort rather than the, the power of the kingdom or the truth of the kingdom of God. I think that's, I think that's right on, man. So um, as we're, you know, moving into some of the more recent years, you, you had the doubts, you were able to, to talk about it a little bit, but then some of those risks made you feel like you had to hide it a little bit more. What, what happens as you wrap up your time on the field and then you're kind of in this space of figuring out what's next? Yeah. So um, it's a whole nother level of trusting God. It's like, I believe he exists, but does he actually care about me and care about what happens in my life? <laughs> and, um, and so we left Canada and, uh, you know, Aaron got to tell a lot of his story uh, about a month ago on this podcast. And um, Julie and I's story is, is very different in there from theirs and, and, and particularly in the, the aftermath of that. Um, but what we did experience slowly play out was God taking care of us. And there's a big question marks like God, why did, 
why did this not go the way that we wanted it to? And so there were doubts of a different nature that came up. Doubts about, did I, did I ruin this thing? Did I sabotage it? Was I to blame? Did we make God mad? Did we miss God's voice? Did we, and when I'm talking about moving to Canada for five years in church planning and then having to leave, you know, what did, what was wrong about that? So a lot of doubts about my ability to hear the Lord's voice. And I just think, um, even when we're not, even when we're not doubting the existence of God or whether or not the gospel is, is, uh, is true and needed, um, we can doubt whether or not God still loves us or he cares about us or that we can hear his voice or that we're starting to doubt our own ability to connect with him and, um, and whether or not he cares. And I think those doubts were more prominent in the years following uh, our time in Canada. It was those, those level of doubts, not that God existed or that it, there wasn't truth to the gospel. It was that, it was, it was more relational doubt. Am I okay? Is God okay? Are we okay? And so you landed in Dallas, the Dallas Fort Worth area after. Yes. Yeah. Where we're at now. And, um, you know, we spent, uh, the majority of our time here has been in a church where, uh, I've described, uh, described it as almost a net that has caught a lot of people that, really struggled in, in a church environment with uh, a, a variety of things. And then they found a place where it was okay to question and it okay to doubt and okay to kind of uh, to, to pick at uh, what they had experienced before. Um, but I also found um, personally, I found I enjoyed walking with people who were, who were doubting, who were, who were struggling with faith. I enjoyed feeling more comfort talking to them and not, not feeling super anxious about it. Um, but I, I also found that I could neglect my own soul by assuming I was always okay and assuming that I was the anchor for other people rather than needing to be around people that would help, um, help lead me to the Lord. Like, um, um, in, in the gospels where the, uh, uh, and where Andrew, uh, you know, brings Simon to the Lord. And I, I need, I need Andrews in my life, bringing me back to the Lord, um, constantly. And I, and, and I need, uh, I need those people to be an encouragement to me. So, um, I kind of neglected that in my life, uh, over some time. And I found some of that. Uh, I've been involved in uh, in other churches um, uh, celebrate recovery ministries, where I just found just authentic, beautiful people that didn't weren't scared of what their struggles were, and not scared of kind of their their hurts and their their dark side. I just love that. It was just so refreshing, um, and and could be encouraged by them. But just still found like, man, I have a need not just to be an anchor for people that are going through doubt, but I have a need for people to, um, to invite me more into those encounters with God that strengthen my faith. So it's not so much, I haven't had these big swings of doubt and faith in the last few years, but I've had this kind of very gradual line that sometimes has just gone a little bit lower with God 
kind of dullness that can develop um, by by lack of pursuit and by just kind of being lulled into stupor. Uh, and I I really needed you know, uh, I needed help to move out of that. And so a really different relationship with doubt. Um, still kind of that self doubt, but like with God, it's been more. I need to be um, reinvigorated mm. and, uh, and man, every time I take a step back toward him, God is there. Um, I just love how, I love how so much of the time it's just like, I've been waiting. When were you, you know, <laughs> I've been knocking at the door, you know, and it's just like this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. If I ask, I receive. And so that's, that's been my experience. Um, even as, as recent as this past Sunday. What you're, what you've talked about reminds me of something we talked about in the podcast on distraction and, and the, the recognition that we don't just wait until catastrophic events happen we find connection when um, when we're at any season of life because it's necessary. It's like breathing or eating or anything like that. As a human being, we're created because we we have to have that. And our lack is not evidence that we're that we are um, broken people who you know are at the lowest moment of life. Our lack is just evidence that God created us to be in relationship. And so through Celebrate Recovery and some of those types of groups, you were able to share some of your weakness. And, and so what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that that was a, a lifeline for you as you, as you've yeah. come into a different season of life, that that has become a lifeline for connection. Yeah. Finding a place where I could talk about that. And it was in, it was in a, a step study well, they go through. They go through kind of a uh, a Christian uh, study of the twelve steps, where and they talk about your broken relationships as the step four and five kind of category, and they said, well, what about your relationship with God? And I was doing some work, and so the the Holy Spirit's really active in those moments, and I realized uh, as part of that that. I've felt, I had felt for many years, like I had, I was a disappointment to God and that came out in that group. And then I received affirmation back. Like, I think that's a lie. You believed that you're a disappointment to God. Mm. I think that, you know, um, that was a lie that Satan kind of put in your mind through those experiences. And so um, that was, that's been so good to, open up to, to sort of those things and be able to, to process my experiences in a different way. Um, and I just the, reiterate, there has to be a place where you can talk about that. And there has to be a place where you can talk about doubt. So in my recent journey, it's not been so many questions about faith. Like, do I believe in, in God in this way? Or, you know, I don't, I don't know if I believe the Bible anymore, the gospel that um, I haven't gone through those exact questions. I know I've had stories there are people that get up to teach in church. There are people that get up to preach in church. And they're like, I don't even know if I believe the stuff I'm saying. And that's such a hard place. Oh gosh. Like that's gotta be so hard because you're paid. I mean, it's your responsibility 
to get up there and do that. And, and you don't even know what you believe. But I think what you and I keep saying is it, you may not feel safe, but you've got to find some people where you can say that and say, I just preached on this passage and I don't think I believe myself. I don't think I believe what I said. And you need people that are like, I thank you for saying that. I love you. Thank you for sharing that. That is so hard. Like, tell me more about what's going on. Why, how did we get to this place? And, you know, like you just, you need to be able to voice those things. Cause if it's all internalized, like I had learned how to do my teenage years, then the enemy whispers those lies, whispers those lies about who you are and about the truth. And it, you just, we cannot do it on our own because on our own, we don't have the capacity to do it. We weren't made to have the capacity to do it. We have to share those places with us. And doubt can be, it can be a road to strength in the future. It can be a road to faith in the future, a road to helping other people that are going through the same thing. But we just can't, we, we're not going to be able to go down that road if we're kind of stuck by isolating ourselves in the doubt. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, um, that I talk a lot about with the people that I meet with, whether it's my students or, um, my clients is the idea that there are messages that are running in the background of our life all the time. And a lot of them have some pretty similar themes, but this goes back to what we talked about when I shared my story in that turn, sometimes we've got to turn up the radio, you know, and, and hear those messages uh, more clearly so that we can let the Lord speak into that or let others speak into it because they will continue to play in the background. And the longer we let them play, the more true they feel. And so when they go unchallenged, they sink deeper into our way of thinking, our way of being. And they also reinforce, this is a place that you can't be known. And I just wanted to underscore that, that moment when you shared the doubt with your celebrate recovery group and they look back at you and they say, that's a lie. That's a lie that God is disappointed in you because you've, because you've had that doubt. That's a lie that, that he's not going to accept you. Um, unless we do that kind of work, we're going to continue to struggle with the same things we, we have at, and it's going to get worse. That's the problem is you see it get worse, not better. The longer yeah. it stays running in the background. Yeah. And that's where I know, um, I know there are people that have been holding on to faith. They've been going to church consistently or whatever, but they've been just, there hasn't been room for them. They don't feel like they have a place to share that. And it's just building up inside them and it's building and building. And, and then there's the leaders that have do, that are doing the same thing. And they're like, I, this is the degree I got. This is the paycheck I got. You know, if I, if I go down this other road, um, I put all that in jeopardy and what a bind that is. And I just know like, um, God, God loves you and God has all sorts of love and mercy for you. And I, and I just think we were comfortable talking about God's grace when I was young, when it came to the sins that we did, but we haven't always been comfortable talking about God's grace 
in terms of our faith and belief, and that God could be gracious with us about the things that we believe that are wrong, uh, that the things that we feel that are wrong. And it's almost like belief had to be 100% or you were in jeopardy of losing God's affection. Whereas you could you could say something or you could do something, you could act out in this way and God would forgive you for that. But on the belief side, he wouldn't forgive you for that. And I think that's, I think that's a big mistake and it ends up separating us from people that believe differently than us, first of all, but it also separates us from God because we think we've got to believe perfectly or we lose his affection. And I think that's not how God looks at us either. And I think that is so good. And, you know, as we're, we're wrapping up our time here, you know, I wanted to give you a chance just to maybe share some, some final things for folks who might find themselves in a similar, similar place. Where would you encourage them to go, Paul, to start out? Yeah. Well, I think first of all, um, finding, finding the places that are safe where you can talk. And so that, that continues to be our emphasis and it can be relationships uh, with people that you know are trustworthy and that are, um, that are safe to talk to and are willing to listen and not just tell you what to believe or that, you know, it's okay. You just got to believe, you know, like all those easy statements um, you, you need somebody that has a little bit more nuance than that. Uh, that's going to encourage you, but it's going to, they're going to let you have that, that journey uh, to walk down. And then, you know, I think, I think Kevin that, um, and again, that can be formalized. That can be groups that can be, uh, that can be something like celebrate recovery. It can be process groups. Um, if you can't find anything else, do whatever it takes to find it. Um, and then there are, there are books out there that are, that are, have been helpful to some people. Um, I've got a book by Gregory Boyd called benefit of the doubt. There's another book out there. I forget the name of it, but that are just like saying doubting can be good. Like doubting, uh, can, can allow there to be space and growth. And it shows like you're being authentic with God. If you don't shove all that down, but you bring it out, it can be like Job, you know, saying, God, what's going on here? Like, it's better. It can be the Psalms that cry out to God. If you can't cry out to God with all those things, then you're hiding part of yourself from God. You're not being fully present, fully known. And I think some of these books allow people to do that. And then um, the other thing is there are, there are some smart people that have good answers to tough questions. I mean, early in my Christian walk, you know, I started reading CS Lewis and I was like, this guy is so brilliant and so good. Like things make so much sense and like spoke to some of those questions that I, that helped me wrestle with faith and had some answers. And, you know, some of those books are hard to understand or get pretty deep pretty quick. And, and you have to almost like work through it with somebody else. But I, I think there are people out there that have written about some of these tough questions that we wrestle with and at least give you some, something somewhere thoughtful to go um, to think about it. Um, and, and there's a lot, we can share some of those maybe in the notes, but, I do think there are resources. There's apologetics, which is good um, and can be helpful, but I also think doesn't take the the place of direct experience. I mean, ultimately, you know, Jesus is real because his story is real. 
we believe in it and we also see it lived out and we experience it and that's why it's real. So um, that's what comes to mind. I think that's so good, Paul. And I, I, I think that our listeners will, you know, really appreciate those resources. And I, I would also say as a side note that I've talked with a lot of people wrestling with their faith and it seems that um, even though there's so much, uh, to invest in from an intellectual perspective and, you know, apologetics and things like that, that, that seem to be really helpful. Um, I don't see those ever fully answering the questions. And it seems as though the people who, who step into deeper relationships, at least from my experience and start to recognize the love of Jesus flowing to them from others and seeing how healing and, and good that is that, it doesn't necessarily fix the questions, but it does help to heal the heart And it. in yeah. a healing heart is in my opinion, one of the best ways to start down the road of seeing God differently and understanding him differently is through human contact, you know, and um, which is why Jesus designed the church to be the way that it is. Yeah. So, yeah. and they're just like intimacy with, with people. And there's a lot that's still to be explored. There's a lot of mystery. There's a lot we don't understand. Um, once you start to explore God in those ways, there's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of things that you, you don't understand, but because you have that relational bond, you are okay with the messiness of it. And so it is so much more about what's happening inside and in, in, in the interior. It's not a faith is not an, just an intellectual exercise of being convinced of certain uh, problems, although those things are important, and some of us are wired like we are thinkers, and we want to we want to answer those questions. But it is also how we've been made as relational people, and there's heart level stuff that is just as important as the those bigger questions. So, absolutely. Well, Paul, thank you for sharing your story today. And the courage that it takes to, to be a leader in lots of different Christian communities and to express that you've, you've dealt with something like, like doubt and that it's been a, a lifelong struggle for you. And I, I so appreciate you been, being willing to step into that, that place and, and share it vulnerably with me and, and those that are going to listen in. Um, and this is, this is going to be a really beneficial conversation for them to hear, I think. Um, so anyways, thank you. Thank you for joining us today and for um, staying with us through the journey of, of Paul's story. And um, we, we pray that you'll be blessed by that and that it will be very meaningful to you as well. So thanks, Paul. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Kevin. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us today and listening in on Paul's story. Special thanks to Cheyenne Metters, who created the music for this podcast. And special thanks to you, our listeners, who have been so supportive of us. Uh, we pray that you guys will continue to listen in. And we also ask you to subscribe to our podcast. Paul and I don't make any money off of this. We're, we're doing this totally out of our free time. And we do it because we want to get the word out and we want to get resources into the hands of the people that need it. So the only way we can do that is through you, our listeners, 
sharing and subscribing to our podcast and making sure to tell people about it. That is, that's how we're going to get the word out. So thanks again. And I hope you have a great day. I want you to remember you are not alone.